look at today. They believe their parents can, can do anything or they would never ask. They go to them helpless with their arms up. Pick me up, dad. Pick me up, mom. Help me. And I even challenged the kids who were in here last Sunday. Do you remember? I had them stand up on the pew and I said, uh, hey, kids, will you pray with me that Jesus would do something great in our church? I had them stand up so I could look them eye to eye and to give them something to remember that the pastor had asked them to pray. Have you been praying that with them this week? Pray with them, Jesus, do something great. And then watch how they pray and learn from how they pray when you pray to your good dad. Lord. Let's pray now and ask him that and ask him to teach us as we look at what it looks like to trust the Lord more like a young child. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him. Jesus, you said that uh, any who would come to you with the faith of a child, you would receive. That faith is simple. That faith is trusting. And yet, Lord, as, as we grow, uh, In this sinful world, in this broken world, we find our hearts becoming cynical. Uh, We find ourselves wondering if we should really trust that or if we should really pray, if it really makes any difference. We find ourselves skeptical of others and even skeptical then of you. This morning, would you help us to combat that and repent of that and instead learn to trust with a clean and pure heart again like a child? Lord, I believe that's a key to prayer. So teach us today, I pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, uh, that you would choose to use me. I pray you'd speak to and through me as as I preach and teach. And I pray against the enemy who would love nothing more than to rob our joy and, and make us cynical. Instead, let us shed that, Jesus, because of your blood and look at you with eyes of faith like a child. We love you. Thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, this series is a little unique because we're not plowing through a full passage of Scripture necessarily, but really looking at some concepts of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And I said last week we learned about uh, praying like a child, and today I want to build on that. And specifically, I want to build on it in the role of trusting God like a child and how that impacts prayer. What does it look like to trust like a child? And... In doing that, we have to examine one of the great enemies of having a childlike spirit. And I've already said it earlier, but I want to share it again. And that's cynicism. Cynicism is maybe the greatest enemy of a childlike spirit is cynicism. Of a childlike trust is cynicism. Of childlike prayer is cynicism. Well, what is cynicism? Cynicism is a general distrust of other people's motives. It's when um, I'm skeptical of what they're really after. And somebody tells me something and, is that really what they mean? What's really behind that? Or, Or sometimes it's not just skepticism. Sometimes it's pessimism. The Cubs will never win the World Series. I know they're in it, but they're never going to win it. It's pessim- a cynical heart becomes pessim- is pessimistic as well. And this cynicism, loved ones, is, is a huge enemy of being able to pray like a child, of being able to trust the Lord like a child. I, I found this definition of cynicism that I'm going to use, and I think it's really helpful. It says, 
the emotional disposition, cynicism is, of distrust or rejection toward a particular idea, person, or group, often as a result of negative experiences, either directly or indirectly. See, the opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit, and cynicism is when I just have this disposition of distrust or rejection, sometimes towards an idea. I don't like that idea. I don't think we should do that. Maybe you have that in your home. And you can be cynical towards your spouse. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, the way that he drives, hmm, I wouldn't do it that way. The, why, why are we spending money on this? Maybe it, it's cynicism towards a group, towards the church. Uh, maybe you're here today and, and you've never trusted Jesus, but somebody encouraged you to come. And you're going, I, just, I don't know about these people. I think they just want my money. Well, we don't. But... It's just towards a group, towards a, an idea, maybe. A ministry, an idea. And often it's a result of negative experiences. Because of something I experienced, because of my history of maybe trusting someone I shouldn't have trusted or just simply being burned by someone that I trusted, now I don't trust anyone. And I put up a wall and I become cynical. Scripture refers to those who are cynical in different ways. Uh, Jesus, and uh, it says this in the Psalms and Proverbs as well, often calls the cynical people scoffers. You scoffers. You evildoers. You, all you do, you just sit and mock. Mockers is another one. Doubters. Oh, ye of little faith. You have little faith. You're just cynical. Uh, arrogant. And when I talk about cynicism as it relates to prayer and trusting God, I'm really thinking in two ways of skepticism and pessimism. And I want to talk about those. But before we even get into those, I just want to say this, that, that cynicism, it is a skepticism. And some of you maybe are thinking, well, isn't there a healthy skepticism? Isn't there a healthy amount of skepticism that I should have? You know, I, I don't want to go, go about life so naive that everybody's taking advantage of me, all right? I don't want to step out on a bridge that is really rickety and looks like it could fall. I want to be skeptical. Yeah, that's healthy, right? But, but cynicism is when skepticism and even pessimism makes its way to my heart. And it becomes an attitude, an ongoing attitude of my heart. And instead of just being... Uh, having a healthy skepticism and being cautious, I, I'm always cynical and I'm always negative and I'm always judging and I'm always critiquing. And you know what I have? No joy. Because I'm always trying to look through everybody else's motives and see what, how things really are. And if you've watched the news in the last few months with the political season, it's really easy to be cynical isn't it? And cynicism has two major parts to it. One, I said, is skepticism. Is that really true? Uh, you see that in politics, again, all the time, both sides of the aisle, you find yourself cynical of whether they really even believe what they say, let alone if I should believe what they say. It's an inclination to distrust and be skeptical of their motives. Uh, the second one is, is, a, is a pessimistic attitude as part of cynicism. When we're cynical, we have an inclination to question whether something will really happen, if it's really worthwhile. 
You know, I, I was thinking of things in my life, the Cubs being one of them, that I get cynical about, that I have this unhealthy skepticism about, that I find this inclination to be skeptical about. And you think about it, we're taught to be skeptical from a young age. It's, it's, cynicism is just what we're taught to do, to be cynical. For instance, a, a few uh, a few months ago, well, for, for Maya Hannah's wedding, we received some wedding gifts, and one of them was a Dyson vacuum cleaner. And we registered it online, you know, and did all this stuff, and we've been using it, and it works great. And we got an email last spring because we're on their list, and it said, and it was like nothing fancy. It was like this plain text email, and you're thinking, okay, who's scamming us? They said, hey, uh, you know, well, this is Dyson, and we, want, we saw you registered, and you have this vacuum. We want to give you this vacuum to try out, and the only thing you need to do is go and leave a review for it on our website. And at first you're going, hey, that's pretty cool, brand new vacuum. And then all of a sudden you start to get skeptical. Okay, who are these people? Are they stealing our identity? Are they going to go like buy 20 other Dyson vacuums and give them away with our credit card? Like, what are they doing? And so I kind of, we replied and we're like, okay, they don't ask for a credit card. We'll do this. And we reply, give them the info that they had already had. And we wait and they stay right back. Oh, sorry. You've been left out of the program and going, oh, great. We just got took. And then in July, we get another email from them. Hey, sorry, we couldn't include you in this trial, but we have a new one uh, that we'd like to include you in. Are you interested? Just let us know and reply. So yes, and we'll, we'll ship you this vacuum. And it's like this $700 vacuum, like this new, like, uh, it's like cordless. And you see these TV commercials, the lady with the big stick reaching up and doing her vents and all this. And okay. Yeah, well, okay. I, so I replied, if they got her info, they already got it. So yeah, sure. We wait two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, nothing. And then we got a tracking number and it showed up and we legitimately got this vacuum for free. But, but it reminded me, I thought of that this week when I think of the nature of my heart to often just be skeptical and really even cynical. That can't, that's too good to be true. That can't be true. That can't really happen. It was a reminder to me this week of God's grace that, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you just need to let go and just trust me. And believe me and follow me with the faith and the trust of a young child. Skepticism and pessimism creep in and cynicism robs us of a prayer life that's vibrant and of joy in ministry and in faith. You know, the truth is that both skepticism and cynical pessimism, if we're not careful, could divide us in a hurry as we keep talking about an upcoming building campaign as a church. We could be skeptical. Did they really, why are they really wanting to do this? Why do they really want to add on to this? Why do they really want to remodel things? Why do they really want to uh, work through in the kids' minute? Why? What's the real motive? Does Josh just want to have a big church and make a big name for himself? Trust me, the last thing I want to do is be famous in ministry. Why do they really want to do it though? What's really behind it? Josh says it's based on ministry, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And even if you believe it's for ministry reasons, and you should, um, you're skeptical of, of the motives of ministry being the right ones. Why are we so motivated to, to do this, to do that? And the pessimistic questions come, can we really afford that? How in the world is God going to provide the money for that? I don't have that kind of money. 
That's impossible. And the truth is, you're right and you're wrong. You don't have that kind of money. I don't either. But God does. Will you trust him like a child? We're going to see this morning Jesus turning uh, loaves into basketfuls of loaves and a few fish into basketfuls of fish. But you're wrong that it's undoable. Let's pray that God would give us faith to try and get our cynicism and our pessimism out of the way and just trust him and step forward and see what he does. See, cynicism creeps in and really cynicism, it was even the first words of Satan in Genesis 3. Do you know that? His first words are cynical. What does he say to Adam and Eve? He says, did God really say that? He was, you know what his real motives were? (laughs) He didn't want you to become like him. Let me tell you how it really is. Let let me show you this and, and get behind the curtain so you can really see what's going on. Satan's initial words were cynical. And when we're cynical, we're more like him than we are like Jesus. Do you know that? It's true. And that's why cynicism is an attack on childlike faith and childlike trust. And I become cynical when skepticism becomes the attitude of my heart and it yields numbness. It makes me numb towards people and towards God. So this morning, what I want to do is... I want to look at some cures that are offered for cynicism. And we've been, I told you last Sunday that the outline really for this whole series comes from a book called A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. Maybe you'd consider picking it up. And uh, these ideas aren't my own necessarily. They're, they're borrowed from that book. And I want to be upfront and honest about that. And so I'd encourage you, though, maybe to pick it up and read it. It's really reasonable, readable. It's really helpful. And as we look this morning, he offers some cures for cynicism through Jesus. Now, our cynical attitude would be uh, to go through life and to be cynical of people, to not trust them, to be distrusting. But what Jesus would say is really what you ought to be if you want to avoid cynicism is you should learn to be cautious of evil. Don't be naive, but be optimistic. Be cautious because of the fall. Be cautious because people are sinful. And people do have evil motives. So be cautious. Test it according to scripture. But at the same time, don't let it be an attitude of your heart where you're just, you write everything off automatically. Be optimistic because of redemption. Be optimistic because of the fact that Jesus saves us and Jesus makes us new. In fact, uh, Jesus' words uh, right away when he he sends out his disciples uh, to, to preach and to teach and to do ministry. And he says in Luke chapter 10... Verse 17, he says, um, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 10, he he says, beware of men. Immediately before this, he says, uh, be shrewd as snakes, as innocent as doves. Be wise, be innocent, but beware of men. Jesus is saying, be cautious because some of them will want to kill you. Some of them will want to take you down. Some of them do not want to hear the message of the gospel. Be cautious. Be a little bit skeptical, but at the same time, He goes on, then at the end of chapter 10, he says, but fear not, fear not, for I'm with you. You're of more value than all the sparrows. I love you more than, be optimistic because of Jesus, because of redemption. The first way we battle cynicism in our hearts is, is be cautious about evil, but be optimistic because of Jesus. 
if, if we're going to turn our cynicism into a childlike trust, we need to be cautious, but we also need to be optimistic. The second thing that Jesus says is learn to be full of hope. See, one of the things that cynicism does is it kills hope. And, and the world of the cynic becomes fixed and immovable. They just uh, they get focused on what it is they're cynical of and there's no changing their mind. Because they don't trust you. They don't trust your motives. And when I say they, I mean me when I'm cynical. And... It, I mean, go back to the building campaign, I mean, dreaming about something that, that, to pray that, Jesus, would you do something great in our church? Well, what's great? That sounds kind of foolish to pray. That's not very sophisticated to pray that, Jesus, do something great. I become cynical. What's really great anyway? Is just a building great? Is, what's great that Jesus would do? Dreaming and risk seems foolish when I'm cynical. Yet on the same time, Jesus doesn't seem to be cynical at all. He, he's all about hope. And hope is a confident assurance of what is true. And what is true. It's not a wish. Hope is a, I'm confident in what's true, in what Jesus has done. And the way Jesus reminds people of this is he always, almost every time, he goes after someone's heart before he does something for them. When he goes to heal someone, I'm going to show you some examples. He goes after their heart first before he heals them. When we're talking about praying to the Lord to provide for us and and we want to trust him, you know what he wants first is your heart. (laughs) When we talk about a building campaign and giving and, and being unified together in this, do you know what I don't want? I don't want your money. I want your heart to be toward Jesus. Because you know what Jesus says? He says this weird thing that where your heart is, your treasure seems to follow. I'm interested in getting your heart to love Jesus and to love his mission. And that's exactly what Jesus does. In, in John 9, 3, before he heals a blind man, you know what he does? He turns to his disciples and he says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then he heals him. He points their heart to him and then he heals him. Before he raises the widow's son, do you know what he says to her? He says, don't weep, don't cry, have hope. Trust who I am, trust what you know to be true. Believe it, then see it. <laughs> and then he raises her son. Um, when, when Jairus told Jesus that his daughter was dead, do you know what Jesus' first words to him were? He says, do not fear. Don't fear, believe. Have hope. Trust what you know is true, that I can do it. Before he heals a crippled woman, he tells her, woman, you're freed from your disability. Yet she's still disabled. And then he heals her. And then he does it. He's not a healing machine. He wants your heart first. He wants your heart. And he demonstrates it over and over and over and over. I want your heart. And what's curious is when he has your heart, all of these other things follow. 
So we need to learn to be hopeful, full of hope in what's true about Jesus and give him our heart and trust him. It's one way to overcome cynicism. Another cure is to cultivate a childlike spirit. A childlike spirit. What do I, what do I mean by a childlike spirit? Well, we're talking about cultivating a childlike spirit, um, a childlike trust. A, a, a child... How do, my son Charlie is 10 months old. He just turned 10 months old. And while he's still young and I can still tell stories about him, I'm going to. And you know what he's just started doing in the last couple of weeks? He started this thing where he has his eye on me or his eye on Hannah. And if he sees us leave the room, do you know what he does? The lip comes out. Just, just starts to... to and you just, you hear it coming from around the corner and then crying. Why? Because it occurred to me this week as a young child, you know how he feels safe? Simply by seeing his parents, simply by seeing his mom, simply by seeing his dad, he feels safe. And if I'm going to develop a childlike trust and, and replace my cynical spirit with a childlike spirit, it occurred to me that maybe I need to be more like Charlie and just have my eyes on Jesus and always looking for him to see if he's in the room. Always paying attention because I know he's good and I know I'm protected when I'm around him. Do you know Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is a Psalm of David. You'll look at this in your 110 groups this week. And Psalm 23 may be the most famous passage in all of scripture. But, but David says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, David is a guy who's been through all kinds of heartache. He was a shepherd boy. He lived uh, in the fields, uh, tending to his flock, fighting off wild beasts, all alone. He, he defeated Goliath as a young boy. Um, he, his, his father-in-law, Saul, King Saul tried to take his life and kill him. Uh, Then his own son later in his life uh, tries to kill him and take his throne. And yet David writes, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. He goes back to his childhood as 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 a shepherd boy. And he remembers what that faith was like. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I just wonder when David writes this, if he's recalling what it was like to have a childlike faith. He was a young boy when he was a shepherd. Like preteen age, probably. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And trust me, David walked through a lot of valleys of death. For you are with me. He just had to have his eyes on the shepherd to know he was safe. Charlie just had to have his eyes on Hannah or I to know that it's okay. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
when I read Psalm 23 and I think, what would a child be like going through a dark valley? You know where his eyes would be, her eyes would be? On the shepherd that they're following. But do you know where my cynical heart would be and has been when I go through dark valleys? It's not necessarily always looking at Jesus. A lot of times it's looking around at the darkness and what's, what's out there waiting. Why is he leading me here? Do I really trust him? Do I really want to follow him? This is uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> but a childlike spirit just keeps their eyes on the shepherd. Now, curious, in the, in the book that uh, I told you about, A Praying Life, uh, Paul Miller takes this passage and he says, now what happens then if instead of walking through the valley like a child, I walk through it um, cynically? How does my cynicism hurt my ability to trust the Lord? Well, how about if we take out every reference to the Savior and every reference to the Lord and what he does from Psalm 23? Here's what you're left with. My, I want. Me, me, my soul. Me, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear evil. Me, me, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, me all the days of my life. This is what cynicism does, loved ones, is it takes our eyes off of our good savior that we're to follow and keep our eyes on and it turns our eyes on us and it makes us distrusting of everything else around us. When skepticism and pessimism become an attitude of my heart, It's hard for me to trust my good father, my good savior. Do you see that? Now let's fast forward to the New Testament where in Mark chapter six, I think Jesus, uh, Paul Moore points this out and I think he's right that, that Jesus really acts out Psalm 23. With Psalm 23 in mind, let's read, uh, Jesus actions in Mark chapter six. You'll look at this again together as a 110 group this week. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Me, me, I want, me in the valley of the shadow of death, me in the presence of my enemies, me, me, I want, me all the days of my life. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. He began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him. So Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. He's going a little long. Um, you know, a little antsy. His disciples come to him and they're like, Jesus, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send these people away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I think they're a little skeptical of what's going to happen, a little cynical. Jesus, these people are all going to turn on us. What are you doing? Would you quit teaching? Tell them to go home. But he answers them, why why don't you give them something to eat? You recognize the need. Why don't you care for it? Jesus says. I wonder how they felt about that. They said to him, well, so what? We're supposed to go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 
I mean, what store is going to be open right now to buy all that bread? How in the world am I going to afford all that bread? That's an outrageous thing for you to ask me, Jesus, for you to lead me in such a way that I'm supposed to give this much, which I don't even have yet. I don't know where it's going to come from, that you're going to somehow provide for things that I don't see. Are you crazy? They're a little cynical. And here's what he says to them. He said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go see. So they went, and when they had found out, they came back and like, well, we got five, and we have two fish. This is such a waste of time, Jesus. There's, I mean, this is not enough to feed these people. I wish we could read between the lines and see like everything that happened in this conversation instead of just the cliff notes. So then, here's what Jesus does. He commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. On the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He prepared a table for them. Um, In front of the people, Jesus, uh, or the disciples, maybe worried might become their enemies if they didn't get something in their stomachs. They're getting hangry. So he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and they were satisfied. He fills my cup. No. My cup overflows. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces at the end and a fish. These aren't little baskets that you have sitting in a picnic basket. These are like uh, baskets that are probably about three to four feet tall, a couple feet wide, big baskets. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Many probably had wives and children as well. See, Cultivating a childlike spirit means when I go through the valley, when I go through trouble, when I go through something that seems absolutely impossible to ever make it through, I don't look around at everything going around. I look at Jesus and I trust everything good I know about him. And I trust that he's the one who's able to provide, not naively, but confidently because he's provided so many other times in the past. Develop, cultivate a childlike spirit. What's curious is, is that in times of trouble and need, when you do turn your eyes to Jesus, what happens to your cynicism? <laughs> it seems to disappear in a hurry in the moment. Let's not wait for those moments. Number four, keep moving here. Learn to cultivate a thankful spirit. A thankful spirit. Paul, like David, is another guy who endured all kinds of hardship as he followed Jesus and as he followed the Lord. And yet what does Paul do? Every letter he writes, how does it begin? I thank the Lord Jesus for you. I'm thankful for you. He's, he's always thanking God for something. He's developing and cultivating this heart of thankfulness in himself because he knows if I'm thankful, I'm not going to be cynical. If I'm thankful, I'm not going to be selfish, or at least I'll be less selfish, and it's a cure for that. What's amazing is Paul's even thankful for people that, You and I, maybe not you, but I would be cynical of. 
he writes to the church of the Corinthians. Do you know the Corinthian church? They were some, um, they pushed the limits of God's grace. Let's put it that way. Uh, incest was rampant among them in the church. Uh, when they celebrated communion, they got drunk and had a party. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. And yet before Paul goes to them and says, you guys really need to quit doing this because it's not honoring to the Lord. You know what the first thing he says to them earlier in the letter? As often as I remember you, I thank the Lord Jesus for you. He's thankful for them because he sees the evidence of God's grace in their heart, even though they're not perfect yet even though they're incredibly sinful. And Paul over and over and over commands us to pray. He says in Philippians 4, 6, and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with what? What's the word? Thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice in the Lord, pray without ceasing, and everything give Thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Another way to combat cynicism is just to be thankful. When you hear me pray, it's become habit now. But when we talked through Colossians years ago, I think it was during Colossians, I just started every time I pray at the beginning to remind myself to be thankful. I pray, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. And it reminds me, even as I pray, to ask things according to what Jesus would be and, and do and have for me. To be thankful for him. Now, you don't have to do that. There's nothing super spiritual about that. It's just that's, that's a reminder to, to this guy because I forget to be thankful. Another spirit to cultivate is a repentant spirit. A repentant spirit. When I'm humble and I turn away from my cynicism and back to Jesus, I quit trying to see through everything and everyone and I simply look at Jesus. I don't have time to talk more about that, but a repentant spirit is huge to combat cynicism. And I'm not going to talk a lot about that simply because I want to talk about this last one as we close. One of the ways that you'll learn uh, both to be thankful, uh, to be repentant, to be like a child, to be hopeful, to be cautious but optimistic is the sixth one. And that's to keep your eyes on Jesus and learn to look for evidences of God's grace. As you go about your week this week, look for evidences of God's grace to you. Think back on your week this past week. Uh, What are some ways that that God provided for you that you didn't expect? An evidence of his grace. What was a kindness that someone showed to you when you didn't deserve it? That's an evidence of his grace. Uh, what's, What's fill in the blank, something you didn't deserve, but the Lord gave to you. That's an evidence of his grace. And when I tune my heart to look all the time for evidence of God's grace, then a couple things happen. One, I quit being cynical of people and mistrusting them. Instead, now, instead of looking for something not to trust, I look for something that the Lord is doing in their life. And I go, you know what? They're changing. They're and maybe they're being really cynical towards me, but you know what's, what's better to do? is not be cynical in return, but simply uh, look for evidence of God's grace. You know what? I, th- I think behind that motivation is simply they really want to honor the Lord. They really love the Lord. Look for evidence of that in their life. 
When, when, I, when I do that, I quit being cynical of other people. I quit being cynical of, of their ideas, of, of their motives, of, of all of that. Because instead I'm looking for Jesus' grace. And I know that if it wasn't for Jesus' grace, my motives would be exactly the same. Yeah, but by the grace of God, thus go I, right? And the other thing it does is it just cultivates a thankful spirit knowing that exact thing. That if it wasn't for his grace, I'd be without hope. So, loved ones, we're, we're going to start talking more specifics now of, of how to pray and kind of what to do and, and some ideas for you that are helpful over the next three weeks. But these last two really just wanted to dial in on what's some attitudes of my heart that need to change. If I'm going to really get to know the Savior, I need to be like a child. I need to be less cynical because my cynicism towards others, whether you realize it or not, it affects my relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's repent of those things and let them change us. Amen? And trust him in prayer. Let me pray. I will sing and we'll call it a morning. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus and uh, for your grace to us. Lord, when we begin to open our eyes and look for the things that uh, you've done to provide for us day in and day out, uh, maybe it's simply waking us up at the right time. Maybe it's uh, missing the accident by a few minutes or maybe even somebody who kept me late, kept me from danger unwittingly because of your grace. Those are all evidences of the fact that you care for us. And so when we see those things, Jesus, it causes our hearts to continually look not to our circumstances, but to you. Lord, for me to learn to pray more like a child, I need to learn to trust you more like a child. And it begins with simply where I'm pointing my eyes. Teach me to love you. Teach me to trust you. For all of us, I pray that. And Father, I pray for those who are new this morning who maybe never trusted you. Might today be the day of salvation for them, that they would turn uh, from their life of sin and their way of doing things. Instead, Jesus, simply to you. That you'd adopt them into your family, make them new, make them your child. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all of this through him. Amen.